any ground beef we've had, whether it be conventional or grass-fed beef, the grass-fed bison by us is just her her number one choice. It's like, this is so good. So if you ever get a chance to try some, you should. Yeah. It's pretty good. I was just asked the other day, like, if I ended up moving out to South Dakota and, like, you know, in the future, if you buy land in South Dakota, would you ever, like, raise bison? And I'm just like, um... So, like, I'm about 110 pounds, you know, like, I'm okay handling cows. They're only, like, 1,200 pounds. Like, do you know how big bison are? And, like, they have What's horns. another 1,000 pounds? What's the <laughs> difference? You're going to get run over and killed anyways. This is the Farm Hop Life Podcast, a traveling homestead family. I'm Matt DeRozier. Today, my guest is Maddie Oski of Maddie's Apartment in Minneapolis, Minnesota. She and her dog grow veggies, herbs, and fruit on her apartment balcony. Pretty cool. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks Glad for being be here. here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so right up front, who grows better tomatoes, you or your dog? Um... He actually, so he's a herding dog, and I like to think that he will check on the plants for me. Um, whenever we have to go and water them in the morning, he sniffs them, the pots, and, and every individual one. And I don't think they grow as well without him, um, you know, being a shepherd and watching over them. <laughs> That's There might actually be something to that. Um, I don't know why uh, this came to mind right away, but... Some somebody said something about like one time, you know, somebody would like sit in their like a chair and like read a book to their garden or whatever. And it I don't know, it's it's probably like just anecdotal evidence from like something they they tried to make something about it, like uh exhaling something about uh carbon dioxide, something something um onto the plants. And so I don't know, it it makes for a good story, I guess. But yeah. so, so your dog is just giving extra uh, carbon dioxide or whatever that thing is um, that plants absorb that help us out a lot. You think I'd know, but I don't. <laughs> so uh, on your apartment balcony. So that's pretty cool. That that must not be. So how many pots do you have? First of all, like let's let's start there. Like and what what are you like? You know, t- tomatoes and peppers, kind of kind of gal. Yeah, so um, when I moved here in 2020, um, my aunt is a really big um, gardener. She, like, built her own greenhouse and everything. Um, She, like, her parting gift was um, a basil plant and a tomato plant. So I started off with two pots my first year, and I just had, you know, tomato and basil, you know, the perfect, perfect pair. Um, And then last year, I got two more pots, so I have four now. And that's where I've been. I have our last year I grew tomato, rosemary, basil, lettuce. Um, and I think that there's another herb. Um, yeah. And um, this year I actually have not planted yet. Um, just cause, uh, I might be moving soon. So I didn't, um, want to, you know, stress out my plants or anything. Sure. Um, because last year I I don't want to, but I feel like I need to confess that I did neglect my plants part of the summer last year. 
I left for 10 days and I didn't water them uh, end of May Oof. while I was on a trip with my family. Um, but they survived um, nice. and they, they were doing well. So I think it might be because um, they get less sun exposure uh, just where my apartment's located. They don't get a sure. lot of direct sunlight. So, and I use the aqua globes. Those are helpful. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Those uh, we, we've all been there neglecting plants like, Oh shoot. You know, forgot to water them. Like when we started our seeds this year, I think we didn't water them for like another like week or two <laughs> after the initial seeding. And we're like, my wife and her are like, I thought you were watering them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that came to be. They're still, still here. Um, that's why this office is so hot. So, so your aunt is a big gardener. Did she have any hand in, uh, how you got started gardening? Um, I think she did partly, and then also both my grand, my grandmothers had large gardens. Um, they both were uh, living out in the country. Um, my mom's mom, she probably had, I want to say a fourth of an acre of a garden, and it was huge. And um, I just remember spending a lot of time um, helping her pick plants and just eating peas and carrots out of the garden. Um, my dad's mom, we would go there annually to pick strawberries and help make jam, um, every, every year, every summer. Um, so that obviously transferred down to my aunt and then, um, my mom as well. Uh, so, so what motivates you to grow your own food? I mean, even in an apartment, I mean, I know the, the plants were gifted to you and you could have just been like, yeah, whatever, if they die at the end of the year, I, I don't have to keep this going. Um. Why, why do you do it? Um, I think it's so I'm just not as dependent to go to the grocery store. Um, you know, I can just go outside, pick some lettuce, tomatoes, basically have half a salad right there. Um, so I just kind of like being independent and it just tastes a little different. And yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it's a, a really strong skill to have to be able to grow your own food. Absolutely. You should maybe next at your next apartment, you should also have a goat on your balcony so you could get like some goat. There's an idea. Yeah. We'll see if the apartment allows goats. (laughs) I mean, you could say, well, I don't know if the emotional support thing goes over well anymore, but um, it'd be like, it checks to see if I have seizures or something like actually, I don't know. Or, I'll, yeah. or like I need it's special goat milk for my gut health or something. I yes. have some, <laughs> some rare, rare disease, I guess, or condition. Yeah. You don't want to use disease. That sounds awful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so since you're kind of limited in what, what you, you can do, do you remember what kind of things um, your your mom, your aunt, and your grandmas had as far as like methods or like techniques? Did they was it just a garden, like no chickens, uh, no livestock of any kind, or like what? Um, you remember kind of what I mean, was it just like row crops? Was it square foot gardening? Was it um, anything like that? I think I think it was kind of just 
they learned it from their mothers. Um, it was definitely just nothing special. Um, I remember my mom's mom, she just like, she just knew what she was doing and it was kind of amazing. Um, she had just like been doing it for so long and she was like out gardening until like the very end. And, um, my dad's mom, she, I think she had like multiple gardens throughout the property, just like where the sons were. I knew like, um, they kind of had like a low area. That's where the strawberry patch was. And then behind their garage is where all the huge rhubarb plants were. And so, um, I remember picking those with her and, uh, um, my parents actually have, um, they used to do like just cinder blocks with dirt, but now <laughs> they've gotten all fancy and they have like raised beds and like beds on wheels that they can like move around in the yard. Depending beds on wheels? What? <laughs> yeah. My dad built it. I, I don't know. I think. Is there a reason? Um, I think it has to do with shade or something. Uh, I know they're trying to, um, because they live in Wisconsin, like the growing season is a little shorter um, than what they would like, obviously. And they're trying to just get the most they can out of their yard, I guess. I'm not Ooh. sure. <laughs> but it's pretty you'll have to <laughs> You'll have to ask him, like, what's with the wheels? When I yeah. just pick a spot. Yeah. Um, oh, shoot. I had a follow-up question, and I kind of forgot. Um, dang it. Well, so so on your – in the gardening, what – when, you know, you I'm assuming you, like, helped out, like, in your parents', parents garden, and um, what did they try that, like, worked well? Was there just, like, one – one crop that just like, you know, was it always tomatoes or always corn or um, something always just came in fantastic every year and they never like that. If everything else failed, this one wouldn't. Yeah. Um, so we definitely always had lettuce um, that would always come up no matter how hard my mom tried to get me and my sister to eat kohlrabi. She would continually plant it every year, even though we told her we didn't like kohlrabi. And what I still that? don't like it. Um, it's like a vegetable. It's it's like yellow. Um, it's kind of like the texture of a carrot almost. Oh. Um, but it doesn't, okay. it doesn't it doesn't taste good. And my mom always planted radishes and carrots. Um, and that's that's what I remember eating growing up. That what that's what we had in our garden. Um, we did have a pear tree, but it wasn't like pears you could eat. How does that work? Do you just like make wine out of it or something? Um, no, they just said it it came with the property when they bought it, so they just kind of left it there. <laughs> not not pears you could eat. Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. But uh, my my grandma would she like would can a lot too, so we'd get like canned pears, canned peaches. But I never knew where she got those from because she didn't have like pears and peaches in her garden. So I have no idea where she got those from. Do you do any canning in your apartment? I do not. I don't have the supplies for it. Um, The only canning I've actually done is jam. And I actually took a course. I took a fun course in my undergraduate. Um, It was like a cooking class, one credit once a week. And we went and canned 
um, like um, celery, carrots, pickles, things like that. So I've done it. I just don't really have the equipment to do it here. Sure. That makes sense. That'd be, that'd be kind of tough. I mean, you, unless you like really loved it or something. Yeah. Um, how many, you, you said like the stuff, just the couple pots on your balcony that you had, um, how many salads would that provide you? Let's say a week. Um, probably like, well, I don't eat a lot. I'm, I'm kind of small. So for my size, <laughs> um, maybe like two or three a week, I was only growing like cherry tomatoes. So they're kind of sure. smaller. Um, but the plant, like it was producing tomatoes from May all the way until I think like the end of September or October, like whenever the first frost was like, nice. it was, it was going. That's not bad. That's not bad. And two or three a week is still, um, still pretty good. I'd say, uh, yeah. I mean, it's more than, more than nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my question, by the way, <laughs> you, uh, like it, why is it always rhubarb by the garage? It's like a Midwest thing in like a couple of other like podcasts that I listen to, like half of them are like from the Midwest. And it's like rhubarb is like only like a Midwest thing. Uh, I'm surprised you don't grow rhubarb on your balcony. Um, it's a huge plant. I don't, yeah, I don't I actually, I don't actually know if I could fit it in a pot, to be honest. Like the leaves that I remember picking were like at least a foot, if not longer. Yeah. Um, they're huge. Yeah. And I think it, they're planted by the garage just because I think that plant needs shade. So, mm. you know, if you're planted by the garage at some point, it's going to be covered by shade. Um, so, but yeah, rhubarb is definitely very popular in the Midwest. Like if you haven't had a rhubarb pie and you lived here, like, what are you doing? That's like saying you haven't had a hot dish or a casserole. <laughs> that, that is very true. Very true. I, for anyone uh, that hasn't had one, what does rhubarb taste like? Can you describe it? Um, It's bitter. Like you can't just bitter. like... You can't even let you can't just like take it straight up from the ground, dust it off and take a chunk out of it unless like you're very special and you love it. Um, it usually has to be like rhubarb pie is made with sugar and it's very commonly paired with strawberry. Like it's a very good combination of bitter yeah. and sweet. Yeah, it's um, like <laughs> I like how when making rhubarb pie you have to work so hard to make it like it's basically just a filler. Like it's not there for the taste. I I'm assuming cause you have to just pour gobs of sugar in it and like all like the nice crumble on top of the pie and everything. And um, so I don't even know why they use it. Just like this trash plant <laughs> that people I want. Pot, it it also has like a good texture and like, I mean, the color is nice when you pull it out of the ground. It's like a deep, rich red. So it's not like a disgusting it is. color. It is aesthetically pleasing, kind of like um, kind of like Swiss chard is. Yeah. So, um, so in in your family gardens, what did they try that didn't work? We know the garden on garden bed on wheels works. <laughs> what 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 doesn't work? Um, I do remember this one year, my mom's mom, um, she planted, 
I want to say it was carrots and they weren't doing so well. And I distinctly remember this because my sister tried to like put a campaign together with all my cousins, like campaign to save the carrots that year. <laughs> and like to come out like on a weekend to see what we could do to help with the carrots. Um, so I don't know if it was like specifically that year it didn't work, but yeah, the carrots, um, I think it's because you need, um, I don't know if you need a certain type of soil or maybe my grandma and it was towards like the end of her life. So I don't know if she hadn't like planted them, mm. um, the seeds deep enough or things like that. Um, I think that was definitely one of the last years that she had planted a garden. Do you remember, uh, if she like used conventional like chemicals or whatever in the garden, was it like, Nope, none of that stuff touches my, touches my food. Um, I don't remember her using it. Uh, they, she like, they did run a dairy farm. So I'm sure she used manure that they had. Um, but I don't believe that she used any like pesticides or herbicides or anything. Um, and then my dad's mom, they had chickens. So I think they used chicken litter. Nice. Nice. That, uh, that works pretty well. I use it myself. So, um, so in, in all those gardening years, what do you think the biggest challenge in, um, has been? Um, I think the challenge is, One of the biggest ones, at least here, is to decide when to plant and what to plant because at least in the upper Midwest, you could have snow up until like the second week of May. And you kind of have to anticipate planting mid-May or late May. And I think also kind of planning out and strategically deciding how much space you have um, and how much space your plants need. And then um, probably finding or deciding if you want to plant seeds or like buy a plant that's already been grown. Um, I personally, just because I'm on a balcony, I bought the plants. Like I didn't actually plant the seeds. I had the plants like they had already been grown and uh, germinated. Whereas, yeah, um, (laughs) just because, you know, it kind of gives you a better chance of them, you know, actually producing and not dying. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and if you're um, if you're also like limited on time as well, like you know, you really got to baby those seedlings mm-hmm. in order to make sure that they they produce, they take off, transplant well, all those things. Um, seems just like doing it on hard mode, and if you already have a black thumb and don't have like the base skill of just keeping a <laughs> established tomato plant alive uh you're not gonna do well from seed it's just uh just the added added layer of difficulty i guess yeah exactly so, what's the what's the best part about gardening um i think it's just like uh talking to it about people and i i think i've I feel like I've influenced a couple of like my friends um, to start their gardens on their balcony. Um, yeah. And my boyfriend is very impressed that I do it. Um, he, 
He's the one that requested um, the herbs last year because he likes to make them um, with steak and our uh, cast iron skillet. So he wanted nice. rosemary and thyme. So I, was I like, like this well, dude. Yeah, I was like, well, you know, it's going to be cheaper to plant them than to have to buy this every week. So or every time mm-hmm. we make steak. So and it's um, fresh. yeah, I know a couple of my friends. My one friend, he actually. He was like hardcore and planted seeds in like a uh, egg carton and had them growing inside before he moved them out. Like I think he planted pepper, like three different types of peppers, tomatoes, and I was like, "Wow, okay, um, that's way better than me." <laughs> that's awesome that you inspired that though. That you kind of you started your own little like gardening club. Yeah, you, you guys can like check in on each other. Like, how's your stuff doing? Like, oh. I don't know. The leaves are kind of yellow. What do you think? Yeah. And actually, um, Minneapolis provides like a lot of places to, you know, grow your own food if you don't have access to like a balcony or something. I know a friend of mine like runs a square or a plot um, in like one of the suburbs. And um, there's plenty of places to buy plants too. Uh, the Minnesota Arboretum had this huge plant sale, which I should have gone to last weekend, but I didn't. Um, but yeah, it's the tools are there. It's just, you need to want to have the motivation to go there and get the supplies and find resources, which there are tons of resources, um, especially through like, um, like state extension programs have this program called master gardener, where it's literally people who just know a lot about gardening. You can just give them a call and they, love answering questions. I remember um, working with a guy like that and he was just like this retired guy who would do this part-time and he would just sit in an office for like maybe 12 hours a week, just like answering people's questions about gardens. That, that'd be an awesome resource to have. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you could, somebody like that, you could probably talk to him about almost anything, even not gardening related. Just like, Hey, I'm kind of, kind of struggling with this. What do you, what do you think? I don't know. Just kind of like a, just another, just another person to bounce some ideas off of, or I don't know. Yeah. Have that That's experience it. to tap into. Yeah. yeah. And that like the gardening and homesteading community, you find just a lot of people that are just willing to give their time and knowledge just freely, just like, like almost, almost too much. If you know what I mean? Kind of like, Look, I just asked, like, how do I start, like, this seed? And I got three hours worth of info, which which I'm I'm happy to have for sure. But um, now this is too much. Now, I don't remember. I don't remember my original question or or. Uh, I mean, how I didn't do write this down. <laughs> I didn't write any of this down. Uh, do you have a TED talk I could listen to? <laughs> um. So let's let's talk a little bit about what we were chatting about before, before the show, uh, that you just wrapped up your master's program, right? Yep. A couple of, I uh, graduated. So I technically graduated August, 2020. Um, I defended my thesis like April, 2020. Um, it was kind of like when COVID first started and, Um, Usually when you defend your master's thesis or your PhD or something, it'll be 
you know, a big thing in person at your university. Um, but I had to like do it over Zoom. Um, I was actually at in Wisconsin at the time and I got my master's in South Carolina. So I kind of had to coordinate oh, with everyone down okay. there. Um, and it actually got postponed probably two or three times. I think they had tornadoes down there, so they had lost electricity. Um, and then there might have been, no, it wasn't hurricane season, but yeah, they had a bunch of storms. So it got postponed a couple times, but yeah. So yeah, I've had it for yeah about two years now. <laughs> so let's see, you did your master's at South Carolina and you did your undergrad in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. So then how'd you, so did you just stay in Minneapolis for your master's? Um, no. So I was in South Carolina, like I lived okay. down there um, during my master's. Um, so I had finished up um, kind of my lab work and everything I had to do in person in South Carolina. And then I decided to, um, since I only had my thesis to write, um, I was allowed to kind of go home and live with my parents, not be distracted by like all the things in college, just so I could like focus, you know, finish your thesis. Um, I think that's kind of the hardest part about grad school. I think people will, most people would agree with me is just to like focus and like, you know, analyze your data, get your references together and get this approved by your committee. And it takes like a lot of work to do that. And usually if you're in grad school, you have people asking you for help, um, at least in our, my department, you know, oh, I really need help with uh, data collection or can you help lambing this season? And I'm like, no, I have to write this thesis. So it was nice to be able to go and write my thesis um, with my, um, in Wisconsin at my parents. So then, so then how'd you end up in Minneapolis then? Remind me. Um, yeah, I got a job up here um, after okay. I graduated. So moved back here because I was familiar with it. And sure, it was a good place to move to. So then, sorry, um, I know I'm stuck on like semantics. I'm just trying to get my timeline in order. When did you get to Minneapolis? Um, so I, so I was here for my undergraduate degree, like 2012 through 2016. And then I moved here for my job, like June, 2020. Okay. That was a wild time to <laughs> move to Minneapolis. Yeah, it I was, um, actually that was like, after the, like the George Floyd thing happened, that was probably, I visited like a week after to look at apartments and, um, yeah, it's, it's way different than, you know, when I was here in 2016 and through undergrad, um, it's just, you know, things are different and, that's just how it goes sometimes. Um, I suppose that's just yeah. kind of wild. The event yeah, like that would uh, probably keep a lot of people away. We're just like, yeah, as long there, as I got my tomatoes. Yeah. Um, there's been like, yeah, it's just been very interesting living here. There were curfews, you know, we had to go through and um, yeah, lots of lockdowns and, with COVID and everything and um, traffic is just not what I remember, but you know, I didn't have to leave campus. So I didn't even know that existed when I was going go. to school here for my undergrad. <laughs> sure. So 
Let's talk about um, moving forward. So you're currently looking for uh, a new job. Mm-hmm. And can you go over your options again? What what uh, what kind of so what's your what's your degree and what's what's something what's the job you're looking for? Yeah, so I have an undergrad degree in animal science. Um, at Minnesota, you can pick an emphasis. I had an emphasis in beef and dairy production, and then um, my master's degree is in animal and veterinary sciences. Um, and then my research looked at. Uh, animal nutrition, um, fiber digestibility in crops, um, things like that. And I had a research position for uh, a couple of years and I kind of been um, influenced by um, the recent popularity of data analytics. And so I'm trying to look for a data analyst position um, within the agriculture industry. So it's pretty, it's pretty niche. It is very niche. Um, and you said like South Dakota and Wisconsin have pretty good uh, like job availability in those in those fields, like data analysts for for agriculture. Yeah, so I've found positions. Um, Wisconsin is kind of a big hub for dairy cattle genetics, and as you can imagine, there's a lot of data that goes into um, dairy cattle genetics. So they have data analysts sure. there. Um, and then there's also a company out in South Dakota that does a lot with measuring greenhouse gas emissions. Um, mm-hmm. So they are constantly getting in data a lot um, from their machines and everything. So they also have a data analyst position open as well. That's interesting. Hmm. Are you are you stuck with those two, uh, those two states or those two companies? Or are you trying to like stay kind of close to home, like within thousand miles or something? Um, yeah. So there are a lot of positions I will say out in California, but that's really not somewhere I could see myself living. Um, you know, I've been there. I went to LA for the first time last year. My dad actually lived in LA. Um, he mm. was. <laughs> He lived there during the 80s, so it was way different than uh, when we last year was actually the first time that he's been back since he moved. And he's like, this is this is not the same as when I lived here. Um, So double the population. Yes. um, Yeah, it was (laughs) it was kind of amazing to see um, and uh, his reactions to just the changes in L.A. and everything. Um, so there's a lot of positions out in California and definitely on the East coast, but, um, I've visited both coasts and it's just not, I, the culture, the company of people I would want to be in. Um, I'm kind of looking to move to smaller city, um, less traffic, um, just kind of like starting to slow down in my life. (laughs) You're looking to slow down in your 20s? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm going to be 30 in a couple of years, so. Sure. Yeah. I guess it's something to, I just, it just sounds funny to me because, uh, I don't know. It's just, just different. It's just un, unusual, but for, for the better. It's just, it's just kind of some, something you don't hear somebody in their 20s say. <laughs> is is all uh that's a that's all um 
So let's let's talk about what like what kind of challenges do you have being away from friends and family? Oh, so there is um, there's a lot of challenges, and um, I've lived far away from my family a lot. I'm just going to undergrad in Minnesota. I was about five to six hour car ride away. Um, living in South Carolina is twelve hours to drive back. Um, so I did miss a lot. Um, I have a sister, so I didn't get to see her as much. Uh, family is a very big part of my life. I have 30 plus cousins, um, grandparents, um, things like that. And, uh, you know, that's really hard because like, I don't get to see them as often as I would like to, but, um, they love calling me. My grandma calls me a lot. Um, and my grandpa will only receive letters if they're written in cursive. So I write him a lot in cursive. And, um, my parents like to take advantage and visit me and use that as their vacation. Um, but they would do anything for me to be able to visit them on holidays. Um, it was a little difficult. I had actually, so I have a dog and I just got him while I was in, um, South Carolina in graduate school. And so I'm like, well, there goes, you know, taking planes home. (laughs) I guess I should be prepared to drive 12 hours home (laughs) with the dog. Um, And luckily in graduate school, like uh, depending on your advisor and your program, like you're pretty flexible with how much time you can take off if you're not like taking too many classes or TAing. So um, that was pretty easy to work with at that time. Um, But, you know, when you get into a job, you only have so many limited vacation days. And I've actually been very fortunate that I have been able to be with my family for most holidays and uh, see my sister a lot. Uh, she she could have moved up to Minneapolis with me, but she decided to move down to Kentucky. So that kind of stung a little bit. But <laughs> um, yeah, we would go through like very big lengths to see each other. And as for friends, like it's just natural to grow apart from friends and like people who I've grown apart with the last years, like I'm not bitter towards anyone or I don't like hold a grudge. Like, Oh, you didn't say happy birthday to me or something like that. Like (laughs) it's not like life goes on and life happens, but you know, the people who will make time to come see you are the people that, you know, you'll make the effort for. Um, for example, tomorrow, someone I went to high school with is going to be in the city, so I'm meeting him for lunch, and he lives in Alabama, so it'll Alabama. be really nice to see him. That's pretty cool. You sound yeah. pretty close to your to your family overall. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually can name all my cousins, all 30 of them, but I could not name all their kids. <laughs> okay, that was, my, that was my next question. Like, okay, cousins, sure. I'm kind of in the same boat. I got, like, 40, 50 cousins or something. I don't know. And uh, I, I know like the first couples, like in, in order of age, I know like mm, half, probably half of their kids. And then after that, I, I, I don't remember. Yeah. I, three of my cousins so are having many. kids this year and I'm like, 
didn't you just have kids last year? <laughs> right. But just assume they're all pregnant all the time. Yeah. Uh, always having kids. Yeah, but it's not a bad thing. Like every time I hear someone's having a, a child, I'm like, this is great. This is wonderful. And it just makes our family get togethers even bigger. Um, my mom's side is the one with all my 30 cousins. So we all meet together like Christmas every day or every year will we try to. Um, my cousins mostly live in Wisconsin. I think there's a few scattered across the country. And my cousin, I had a cousin living in Costa Rica for a while, but she actually just moved back after like 15, 20 years. Um, so she moved back to Wisconsin just this past year with her family. What brought her back after all this time? Um, so she, she moved down there in like 2002 and she moved down there originally to, um, teach Spanish and English. She's like fluent in both. She obviously met her husband down there and, um, they got married and they have two girls and I think they were down there to stay there because, um, he was so close with his family, but I think um, just with like recent event, events and everything that they've kind of grown apart from their friends down there. And hmm. I don't know if their family situation with her husband has been all that well. So I think um, she is really close ties with um, her mom, my aunt. They actually have a huge family. I think my aunt has eight kids. So they have, they're very closely knit. Um, that's probably like sure. the biggest family <laughs> out of all my aunts. And um, they all, I think, live within like an hour radius of each other. So they are always watching each other's kids. And um, yeah, I think they were really wanting that support. True. They're going to need it. I mean, like just the times that we're facing soon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I've got a note here about uh, you want to promote some local mentorship programs. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so I'm involved with, um, I went to the U- University of Minnesota, and they have a mentorship program there for their students, um, undergraduates, graduate students, um, PhDs, postdocs, and I did it as an undergrad, and I just did it for fun. I was like, well, we'll see what happens, and it really helped me um, just because they they don't teach you everything in college. Like, they don't know what the real world is. <laughs> And I have done it the second year um, doing it. I did it this year. And the girl that I mentored last year, she actually got into vet school. So I kind of like to think that I I helped her with that. And um, this other girl, this current one that I have, we've actually been continuing our mentorship. The program technically ended like April, but we still continue to, you know, um, talk about things, meet up. She's actually not going the route that she had originally wanted to do when we first started. So she's going into like, um, like not physician's assistant. That's what she wants to do. And of course I have no idea. Like that's, that's not what I do, but, um, kind of just telling her, uh, things that I've done and experienced has really helped her, especially with like interview process. I'm like, okay, so this is what interviews look like now for me. And something you can expect. And I've helped her, you know, with resumes. Um, She has a lot of, um, I feel like it's very common for people now 
especially younger people that have anxiety and like depression and confidence issues. And so I kind of help her work through that. Um, she really wanted to get this TA's position, I think a physiology class, and she was nervous to ask this professor. And she's like, um, I've emailed her once. She hasn't responded. I'm like, I'm going to tell you this. Professors don't respond on the first email. Keep emailing her. You're not annoying. <laughs> and it turns out, yeah, she um, emailed her like two or three more times. And of course, the professor emailed and she got that TA position, I think, not only for this past semester, but she has it for the next upcoming semester as well. Nice. That sounds awesome that you're uh, that you're so supportive of other other people that way. When you said mentorship programs, I was just thinking like, like food, like <laughs> gardening, but it, so it's just, just general, just general mentorship, you know, get that, um, get that job you wanted, get that, uh, TA position that they wanted. Um, that's cool. Yeah. I think, um, it's something that's maybe not talked about enough. Um, and it's important to have a mentor, you know, maybe toward like working on your career and then also maybe a personal mentor as well. Um, because I just think experience is such a valuable thing and you can maybe skip some mistakes that you might be making by just talking it over with someone with more experience than you. Connections too. Oh my gosh. The agriculture world is like, all about networking and connections. Everyone knows everyone. It's, it's such a small community. Oh yeah. Did you, did you say that you had a, a mentor as well? Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I think my sophomore year is when I did it. Mm-hmm. Nice. So they helped you through like some of like your school programs, I'm assuming. Um, not so much. Uh, she, I think what I really got out of that program was, um, at the time it was something that I thought I wanted to do. Um, so she was an extension agent for the state of Minnesota on like livestock. And that's a career path that I wasn't sure if I wanted to pursue. And after kind of learning what she did, um, pre COVID, you could go and shadow. Um, unfortunately my mentor, my mentees weren't able to shadow me these past couple of years. So I got to kind of see like what they do day to day. And um, I feel like, I don't know if it's like this with all colleges, but I think there's a lack of like career help, um, that at least that I've experienced at um, Minnesota. Um, I spent a semester at University of Kentucky too. They didn't really have um, the support that I was looking for and um, same down in South Well, sorry, I just lost you for a second, um, but you're back. Uh, yeah. You said that Kentucky didn't have uh, career support. Yeah, um, I had spent a semester there for like a exchange program. And then, yeah, in South Carolina, like the, the career services that they had were, I felt were kind of limiting. Mm. What is it about livestock that you want to pursue as a career? Um... I'm just genuinely curious. Like, (laughs) I think it's kind of the pride I have just being from Wisconsin and my grandpa, my grandparents being dairy farmers. Um, 
you know, I think dairy holds a very special place in my heart. I love dairy. I always have milk, always have cheese, always have yogurt, always have ice cream. Um, it's like, I think it's the best thing. It provides, you know, protein, energy, um, and it's just kind of the lifestyle that you think about is kind of, it's almost like, like, oh, I don't know how to say it, but it's like, it's like a dream, even though working on a dairy farm is not a dream. You know, you have to milk cows like twice or three times a day every day, but it's like just a goal that I want to work for. And I think it's a very idealistic um, lifestyle. Um, I personally wouldn't do a dairy farm. Like my goal would be to do like a, like a homestead and have beef cattle instead. <laughs> so you can like, leave. <laughs> like, uh, like you personally raise, like you would personally raise beef cattle is what, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um, in the future. Yeah. But probably not more than like four, two or four steers sure. or something, something low key. I gotcha. It's, um, it sounds very wholesome. Yeah. Like, um, there's a pun in there if anyone caught it. <laughs> uh, so, do you do you drink raw milk, or have you? Yes, um, I did growing up a lot because um, that's that's what my grandparents drank. Um, they didn't pasteurize it or anything. I didn't have a problem drinking it until I was like in high school. Then I was having a lot of stomach issues whenever I would like. Mm drink it but it's because I would drink a lot of it I would have like four or five glasses and now I can only maybe have maybe like a glass of raw milk Mm. Um, yeah I don't I wish I could drink more but yeah it does give me some stomach issues hmm that's not wonder wonder what happened there like what what the what the change was because maybe it's just like um I don't know. I, I, I have no idea what, what could be what could be the issue there and something that changed uh, that all of a sudden your stomach just didn't like it anymore or as yeah. much. I don't, your body With all that, some weird changes in, I guess, in high school. <laughs> that's true. That is, that is true. Um, with all that drinking of, of milk, have you ever broken a bone? No. Well, there you go. Uh, so studying, studying dairy and beef cattle or, well, it, so what, I know you said like, it doesn't, it doesn't sound that nice, uh, working on a dairy farm or in a, with cattle or whatever, but if you're a data analyst, you don't actually have to do any of the hard work. Probably you're just like someone that actually milked the cow. They hand you the bucket or container and you like measure how much it produced I'm assuming. And so, uh, or the machine did it, I guess. And, or do you actually have to hook up like the, like the milking machine or anything? Uh, um, so like for usually for data analytics, it's collected like on a cloud service. Um, and a lot of the data collected from dairy farms are usually, Um, If it's going to be like looking at milk content and milking, um, typically it'll be from uh, robots, um, farms that have robotic dairies because it's very easy to collect data that way. Um, Otherwise, 
you can do the old-fashioned way. Um, DHI um, can come in and do some records for you on your your milk com- components and things like that. Um, other records on a dairy farm are usually manually put in by um, people working on the farm um, or vets if there's, you know, any health issues going on. Hmm. I suppose that makes sense. So if it's all automatic robotically, like that's just part of the process, like the machine already knows how much milk has been like dumped and which cow it came from and all those things. Like, it's just like, it's just all part of their system and it's put in like a big spreadsheet, I guess. And then you have to comb over it. I I don't know. Spreadsheets and numbers and data, not, not really my thing. Uh, so yeah, it, it would, it would be lost on me. <laughs> yeah, it can be, um, overwhelming, especially if you're working with, you know, large herds of like hundred, 200 cattle, um, if they milk two or three times a day. Um, and they're recording everything up to how many pounds of milk each cow is producing, you know, percent fat, percent protein, um, Sometimes they'll have scales to weigh the cows um, because that can indicate if they're going through some type of metabolic disease, um, things like that. So then if all that data would be put in like for dairy cows and you said that you preferred to do beef (laughs) instead, so then what kind of data would they be looking for? You know, the fat... uh, lean ratio on like uh let's say the hay to alfalfa I, I don't know help me out here like like uh the conversion ratio maybe from like hay and alfalfa to pounds on the on like hanging weight and then like in let's say a specific cut is like this percentage of fat to lean is that, am I, am I close? Um, so I would say the biggest thing that's recorded on a feedlot would probably be average daily gain, how many pounds they're gaining per day. Okay. And then probably look, comparing it to feed costs and how much your um, feed is costing to uh, pay to feed the cows like per day. Usually it's, it's going to cost me this many cents per day to feed each cow. How long is this? Um, so you're going to be in the feedlot. When is it going to be ready yeah. to hit, you know, finish wave? Um, I'm not sure if uh, like hot carcass weight, all that um, kind of the measurements you get after you butcher a steer. I think that would be like a separate industry because um, usually, you know, the feedlot's not kind of integrated with that. Um, sure. It's not an integrated industry. Um so those would probably be, and I'm guessing, yeah, they would probably look at greenhouse gas emissions too in feedlots. Um, Cause I know that's a big thing as well. Yeah. Um, and they would definitely be comparing, especially with like pricing and the way that um, crop prices are fluctuating every day and things like that. They're looking at the price of substituting, um, I know, I think I've heard that lysine has been a little bit of a concern 
Um, it's an essential amino acid that um, mm. cattle need in order for their ruminant to work well and do its thing. And then, you know, corn prices, of course, are a big thing. And then, um, especially if you're doing like more of a niche market, if you're doing whatever you claim grass fed, 100% grass fed pastures, whatever beef, um, you know, how much that's going to cost you to plant like your pastures and things like that. Um, and like, like I said, substituting, um, especially if you're in the Southeast, like if you want to substitute sorghum for corn, um, cause that's a good substitute. Yeah. Things like that. Do you subscribe to like regenerative agriculture models to, instead of feeding cows like corn and soybeans or whatever, to put them out on pasture instead and like rotationally like graze them. Um, are you familiar with this process? Uh, I, yeah, I'm familiar with like the different um, systems that you can finish beef on. Do you think that that's a more sustainable way to go? <laughs> um, depends on what type of sustainability you're thinking about environmentally or socially or economically sustainable. Um, I do know that um, if a cow has a higher grass-based diet, it's going to be producing more greenhouse gases than if it's on a grain-finished diet. Hmm. Um, also, I've, I've grain- not heard that. Yeah, there's. Um, I took like a sustainability class um, in graduate school, and we had to do a whole uh, lit review on it. Um, forgot the exact papers, but it's just the way that the grass is broken down um, in the rumen and the outputs that um, are produced from the digestion. And then hmm. um, obviously they're not going to gain as much weight as fast on pasture raised or pasture right. finish. So how much is that going to cost you per day that you're not finishing your cattle fast enough? Um, how far away are you going to be shipping your cattle from a pasture versus like a feedlot because they're going to be on the truck and it uses gas. Um, There's so many like components and like, it's so hard to, um, that's a loaded question. (laughs) It is a loaded question and it's totally not fair. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. And I did not prep you for this question at all. It was just like something that I, that I thought of. So yeah, I, I get asked it a lot, so it's no problem. Do you have a preference, uh, personally, like eating grass-fed or conventionally fed beef? Um, so I actually took like a carcass evaluation class in my undergraduate, um, and we did like we tasted prime, you know, choice beef, grass-fed beef, goat, camel, weird meats like that. And I, <laughs> any horse? No. Um, Dang. The only reason we got camel meat was because um, yeah, my professor was like, found this camel meat at, I forgot what type of store he was at, but he had just been like driving by and he's like, oh, I'm going to bring this to class. Um, but going back to, I actually prefer like conventionally fed um, grass or conventionally fed finished beef, like on grain. I think it tastes better. There's more fat there. Um, grass fed just didn't taste as good to me. Uh, the beef I usually get is actually from 
my grandparents' farm. Um, sure. They'll finish off steers. And then my parents will usually buy half of a steer. And then they'll give some ground beef to me and my sister. That's nice. Because it's yeah. expensive. So that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I have I have heard that a lot. That, you know, I just I just like the taste of, uh, you know, grain finished. Is it like, are you saying grain finished or like grain its whole life? So just grain fed. Um, Cause like, so, you know, raised on pasture and then, you know, you bulk it up towards the end with uh grain. Yeah. So typically like, I think that's the most common is like the cows in the steers, all the cattle that get transferred to like feedlots are usually on pasture first. Cause you're not going to like calve in a feedlot. Like that's just, they don't have no. the facilities for that. And that's just, no. that's not smart. <laughs> I will say uh, that my wife likes uh, grass fed bison more than uh, more than just regular, like any, any ground beef we've had, whether it be conventional or grass fed beef, the grass fed bison by us is just her her number one choice. It's like this is so good. So if you ever get a chance to try some, you should. Yeah. It's pretty good. I was just asked the other day, like, if I ended up moving out to South Dakota and like, you know, in the future, if you buy land in South Dakota, would you ever like raise bison? And I'm just like, um, so like I'm about 110 pounds, you know, like I'm okay handling cows. They're only like 1200 pounds. Like, do you know how big bison are? And like, they have, what's horns. another thousand pounds. What's the <laughs> difference? You're going to get run over and killed anyways. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm like, I, I think I told them, you know, I would need some experience, you know, handling the livestock first. And, um, I don't know, I don't know about you, but like, I feel more comfortable handling like cows and sheep and goats rather than like horses scare me. Um, they're so unpredictable and they can actually bite you. So they, <laughs> I'm a little they nervous can. handling horses. I think they pick up on that nervousness. I think that's what your problem is. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, it's more like sheep, goats. I mean, definitely not pigs, pigs do whatever they want. Um, like you can, for the most part, kind of control sheep and goats uh, physically if you have to. You know, every other animal is just kind of kind of do what do what they do what they want, unless you you know really really strong arm them, strong arm them, or just kind of encourage them to do what you want uh, with lots of treats or something. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. If you get run over by a cow, it can't feel much different than getting run over by a bison. But bison don't really seem to respect uh, boundaries is what I'm what I'm used. I mean, so there's actually just really quick. There's in a town south of me, like it's it's a small town, maybe 500 people live in it or something like that in town, like two blocks off of. Main Street, which is just a four-way stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bison. I don't know if it's still there. It lives in this person's backyard. 
and it's like quarter lot. <laughs> Not even kidding. Hmm. I, I wonder if there's a there's a newspaper article in the like in the local paper that's ever been written about the lone bison in someone's backyard. That that would be a lot of. That'd be a lot to feed it if it's not like grazing, because that's that's not. I mean, even if it even if it was, I mean, they're also you know they roam, you know, buffalo roam like they. There's kind of like kind of like elk. Like elk don't stay in one spot. Like they Mm -hmm. migrate, you know, because they eat. I think I saw something like fifteen pounds a day of stuff each, and there's like herds of two hundred, five hundred thousand elk so like you do the math and how much they have to keep moving in order so that everybody gets fed and stuff but anyways enough of that tangent uh wrapping up what would you tell people that want to get started gardening homesteading raising bison (laughs) i think um you know work with what you have you know if you're in an apartment um buy some pots, buy some soil. Um, if you have questions, there's so many resources online. Um, reach out to friends if you hear them gardening. Uh, keep an eye on some land prices, I guess. Um, find someone, find a nice elderly couple that owns land that they don't know what to do with. <laughs> um, and I think just kind of being realistic with your goals as well. You know, you don't have to start off. Like I said, I only started off with two plants um, my first year I was here and then I decided to double it. Um, it's okay. It's okay to neglect them. Um, obviously they'll come back if they want to. And, um, I think the important thing is to not take it too seriously. Uh, especially if it's, you know, it's not your income. It's not like you're depending on this for money and things like that. And I think it also would help you give, give you a sense of pride. Um, like you grew it and, uh, um, you know, you don't have to depend on the grocery store or wherever you're getting your food from. You can just, um, go out your balcony and, you know, pick some tomatoes and lettuce, or, um, I'm hoping to get strawberries soon or raspberries. Um, cause I buy those, uh, all the time at the grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Well, awesome. Uh, do you want to tell people where they can find you, follow you, uh, see what you're doing? Um, sure. I, I'm on Twitter. I don't post a lot. Um, I'm not very consistent. I do have an Instagram. I'm not consistent there as well. And I'm on Facebook and not consistent as well either. I just, um, it's actually something I'm trying to get away from. I am a little bit addicted to social media, so I don't have a TikTok because I was like, nope, you're going to get drawn in. Like, don't do it. Do not waste your time on that. There's so, so much good ranching stuff and cow stuff on there, though. It's I know, so good. I know, but like, there's also the real world outside. Like, on Twitter, I think ever the post is like, go touch grass or something like that. Go touch grass. Yeah. So um, there's other accounts that you can follow that definitely keep up with um what they're doing more than I do. So um I think I just, you know, prove that anyone, even someone in an apartment can grow their own food. Like you can even grow it inside if you want. Like I know people I actually just bought a friend of ours a grow lamp so they could grow herbs 
all year round in Minnesota. So if you really want it, you can make it happen. That's perfect. Well, I appreciate tonight spending your time talking to me, answering my dumb questions that uh, about about data analysis that I still don't really understand, but that's okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good luck uh, going forward, and uh, hope you stay in touch. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. No problem. I loved this interview. Maddie is a perfect example of what you can do with the space you have. So what's your excuse to not start? Thanks for watching, everyone. Please like, subscribe, and most importantly, share this video. Check out our website, farmhoplife.com. Sign up for our email list there to be notified when new videos, interviews, and podcasts are available. If you can be censored for saying something, couldn't you also be censored for not saying something? Ever think about that? So let's stay in touch. On our YouTube, I have playlists organized so you can watch super short podcast episodes with Katie and I, interviews, short clips with guests, and videos of our setup here at home. You can email me anytime, matt at farmhoplife.com. I'm always looking for new people to interview. Don't be scared. If you want to come on to talk about homesteading, farming, food security, homeschooling, regenerative agriculture, alternative building methods, or anything else, pitch me an idea. farmhoplife.com slash guest. Go feed yourself.